think back to uh, when you were a kid and your mom or your dad, you'd ask them for something and they would tell you no, right? They would just be a resounding no. And then maybe if you were me as a kid, you would think this, when I become a parent, I'm never telling my kid no, right? I remember thinking that as a kid. I'd ask my grandparents for something, they'd be like, no. And my first thought was this, well, when I become a parent, I'm giving my kids whatever they want. And now that I'm a parent, if I'm being honest, I love that word no. Okay, it like, it kind of fills me up at times to tell my kids no, right? We've all experienced that before. When someone has told us no, maybe it's as a child, you've asked your mom or dad, can I have candy for breakfast? And they're like, no. Maybe as a teenager, you ask your mom or your dad if you can take their brand new car out, and the answer is no. Maybe you strike up the nerve to ask a girl out, and she says no. Okay, we've all been there, right, where someone tells us no. Maybe you've been waiting to get into a certain college, and you felt like you were a shoe-in, and then you get a letter back basically stating no, you didn't get in. Maybe it was a certain job you thought for sure you were going to get. You felt like the interview went great. You felt like everything went according to the way it should, and then you heard the words, no. Maybe you're waiting on financing for a house. Maybe you're waiting on financing for a vehicle and the bank gets back to you and says, no. We've all been there, right? Someone has told us no at some point in our lives. Well, what we wanna look at today is what do we do when God says no? What do we do when the Lord tells us no? When we've been praying for something and we feel like God hasn't answered our prayers because it hasn't happened the way that we wanted it to happen yet. And I'm not talking about those God give me one million dollar prayers, right? We all know those prayers where they're like extremely selfish in nature. Lord, just give me one million dollars and I promise I'll honor you with it, right? And God says no. Or those, God, if you'll get me out of trouble here, I promise I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Right? We've all prayed those type of prayers. I'm not talking about those type of prayers. What about the sincere, honest prayers? God, heal this person. God, I know you can. God, heal them. God, provide for me. God, give me, give me this opportunity. God, help this person to see you. Those sincere, honest requests, and it just seems like God simply says no. What do we do when it seems like God doesn't answer our prayers? See, because many times when God says no, that's our go-to. Is well, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, we have to have to understand this, that no is still an answer, right? No is still an answer. It may not be the answer that we wanted. It may not have been the answer that we were hoping for, but no is still the answer. So what do we do in the denials? What do we do with those moments in our life where God has just simply said no? What do we do with those things that we've prayed and God says no? We've learned that God is still good in the disaster when things of our life just seems to go terribly wrong. We learn that God is still good when we have doubts. We learn that God is still good in the delays when God says it's not my time yet. Last night, I, some of you may or may not have watched this, um, but there's a new TV series out called The Chosen. And you can watch it through an app. And I'll be honest with you, 
it is amazing. I, I'm always very skeptical of any time somebody comes in and tries to make a movie about Jesus. Okay, because for the most part, the acting is normally pretty terrible. And sometimes biblically, it's all over the place. So I always really skeptical, and I was very skeptical of this. And I've sat through, and there's eight episodes in the first season. And it basically walks through the life of Jesus. And it stopped at John chapter 4, when episode 8. They have a plan to make 10 of these seasons. One of the best things I've ever watched. I sat there and watched it, and at so many times, almost overcome with emotion. Because I'm watching scripture play out in front of me. And I was reminded of what we talked about last week, that God is still good in the, de- in the delays. And I'm reminded when they portrayed the, the wedding at Cana, when Jesus turns water into wine. And his mom comes up to him, is like, Jesus, do something about this. And you remember what he told his mom? It's not my time yet. See, God is still good in the delays. When he delays, we want things immediately, but God is still good in the delays. But today I want to look at the fact that God is still good in the denials. When he says no, God is still good. See, if God was only good when he said yes, then we kind of put God and we resort him to being this magic genie that is there to do our bidding. Okay, so if God is only good when he says yes, then essentially he's no better than a genie where we say, God, I want you to do this. And he says, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. But we have to understand that God is still good, even in the notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Some of you may be familiar with this passage of Scripture. It is, if I'm being honest with you, this has been one of the most perplexing passages of Scripture for me. Because in this passage of Scripture, you see God tell a very godly man no. You see God, this man, Paul, is praying that God removes something from him. And God simply says, no, I'm not going to do it. It's one of the most difficult passages of Scripture. We're going to pick up in verse 7. Give you a little context. Paul is talking about these revelations that God has given him. See, God, Paul and, and Jesus just enjoyed this special type of relationship. God had given Paul some, some special revelations And Paul says this in verse 7, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We'll stop there. It says he was given. Most likely, this wasn't something Paul was born with. This was probably something that hit Paul at some point in his life. And it says he was given this thorn in the flesh. So this idea of the thorn in the flesh is, is probably some sort of physical ailment that Paul is dealing with here. There's a lot of speculation of what that could have been. Some people think Paul probably had very poor eyesight, and they go back to his time of conversion at the road of Damascus when he was blinded. And scripture later says it feels like scales fell off of his eyes. So some people say it could be something to do with his eyesight. We're not really sure. But he just says, I was given this thorn in the flesh. Flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This word torment literally means to beat. Okay, so Paul basically feels like he is just being punched in the gut over and over and over again by this thorn in the flesh. He then says this in verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
So this is something that has bothered Paul. Bothered Paul enough that he prayed about this several times. And his prayer was, God, would you just take this away from me? Just take this from me. Look at God's response. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see a couple things here. Paul, we know him to be a very spiritual individual. Okay, Paul penned the majority of the New Testament. Paul was the greatest church planner we've ever seen. Paul started churches consistently and constantly. And we see Paul talk a lot about the things that he's endured for the cause of Christ. Okay, Paul was, wasn't shy about telling you about the things that he's endured for the cause of Christ. But this passage is a little different because this is the first time where we actually see Paul say, you know what, but I don't want to endure this. God, I want you to take this away from me. If we back up to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians... You're going to see Paul, he's going to make this list of things that he's dealt with. And I'm going to read through this list of things. And as we read through this list, most of us would have bailed at some point in our faith if these things happened to us. Look what Paul says. Verse 23, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. At some point you stop getting on a boat, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. In other words, he lived his life in constant danger. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've gone often without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So Paul says, he makes this list of things that he has dealt with in his life. And he says, these things happen constantly. He said, then on top of all that, I have the pressure of being a pastor. On top of all that, I have this pressure, this daily concern for all these churches that I've started. Okay, so Paul makes this list of things that he's endured, but not once in that list do you see Paul say, God, take these things from me. Not once in this list do you see Paul say, you know what, God, I don't want to endure the 39 lashes. God, I don't want to endure the shipwreck. God, I don't want to endure the beatings or the stoning. God, I don't want to endure the pressure from the churches. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, God, I don't want to endure this thorn in the flesh. God, I don't want to deal with this thorn in the flesh in the flesh so we ask God to remove it probably because in his mind he would be much more effective for the cause of Christ if he didn't have this thing in his life if he didn't have this physical ailment if he didn't have this thing that in his mind was really severely slowing him down 
and was hindering, in his mind, probably hindering him from spreading the gospel. He says, God, I want you to remove this. But God simply says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to remove that from you. So the question then is, why does God say no? We understand that God is good. All of us would say that God is good. We all would say that we believe in God. We all would say that God has his best interest in in mind for us. So the question then is, why does God say no? And I would like to say that I could dogmatically give you a reason why God says no, but I can't. None of us can know the mind of God. But from this passage of scripture, I think we could see some things that Paul points out that may be able to help to encourage us in those times that God says no. The first thing is this. Sometimes God says no to show us he is all we need. Verse 9. Paul just prayed, God, would you take this from me? Look at God's response. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, Paul, I'm all you need. I know you feel like you need this taken from you, but in reality, I'm all you need. Let's make this very practical for us today. God, provide for me this job. Child, I'm all you need. God, correct my child. Correct his ways. I'm all you need. God, heal my marriage. I'm all you need. God, provide for me this way. I'm all you need. God, take this from me. I'm all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. I think if we were all to be very honest, we are entirely too self-sufficient, aren't we? Most of us could probably live our lives without the presence of Jesus, and we would never know. Think about that for a minute. How many times do we go about our lives without praying? How many times do we make it a full day and we don't pray? We don't read our Bible. We don't even acknowledge God. We're entirely too self-sufficient, aren't we? There's some churches that could go an entire service and not even realize that God never really met with why? Because we're entirely too self-sufficient. One of my greatest fears as a pastor is that I go home on a Sunday afternoon and I sit in my recliner and I'm working on the church video and I realize that I did an entire sermon without God's power or presence. It'd be super easy. It'd be super easy for me to prepare a sermon I've done it for a long time. I can prepare a sermon in my sleep. I can almost deliver a sermon without thinking about it. But I don't ever want to do it without the power of God involved in it. But we're so self-sufficient. And I think the reason we're so self-sufficient is we really feel like everything depends on us feel like we have to have control but if we've talked about over and over again control is an illusion but we feel like we need this control but this is what happens 
when we fight for control, we essentially put God inside this box. And we put God inside this box and we keep God inside this box because we can control this box. We can control what happens in this box. And we're so desperate for control and we're so desperate to be in charge that we put God inside this box and say, God, you can only operate on terms that I understand. God, you can only do things that make sense to me. God, you can only answer the prayers I want you to answer. God, you can only direct my life the way I want you to direct it because, God, ultimately, I want to be in control. I want to fight for my life. And I want to fight to have the driver's seat. So, God, you sit in the passenger seat, and when I need you, I will allow you to come out of this box. But until then, God, I desire to be in control. We're entirely too self-sufficient. So sometimes God says no to show us he is all that we need. We don't need control. We don't need to be in charge. We don't need to direct our life the way that we feel it should go. We just simply need more of Jesus in our life. Look what the psalmist says in Psalms 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Our help, our stability, our provision, our protection, everything in our life depends on God. But it's so easy for us to ignore that. And it's so easy for us to forget that. When God simply says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm all you need. I know you feel like you need all these other things. And I know you feel like if you had all these other things, your life would be so much easier. But the truth of the matter is this, is I'm really all that you need. If you lost everything in this life and I was all that was left, it would be sufficient. That's what Job learned, isn't it? Job lost everything. But Job remembered that as long as I have God, I have enough. Sometimes God says no to show us he's all we need. Number two, sometimes he says no to show us he has something better for us. Can you imagine what our world would be like if every prayer was answered according to the way the person wanted them answered? Think about that for a moment. What if God said yes to every single thing you asked for? I'm talking about from childhood. God, please make that horse purple. God, please give me a million dollars right now. God, please don't let that girl break up with me. As I talked about that prayer request of mine last week, I'm really glad that God didn't say yes to that. But could you imagine what our life would be like if God said yes to everything? 
very thankful for the wise theologian Garth Brooks who said some of God's greatest gifts are often unanswered prayers. But he's a little off in his theology because even a no is an answer. But many times God says no because he has something better in mind for us. See, God loves us way too much to give us everything that we want. Parents, do you give your kids everything they want? Nope, you don't. Why? Because you love them entirely too much to say yes to their every wish and every desire. We'd like to. But when they ask you, as a four-year-old, can I go play in the street? No. Can I have ice cream for breakfast? No. Can you just put some soda in my sippy cup and let me sip it all day long? No. Why do we say no to our kids at times? Because we love them. And because we see that there's something better for them. We see that there's something else better. We have something else better in mind for them. Remember what Jesus said? Or James said, actually. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you? What is he saying there? If you, who being evil, being sinful parents, love your children, how much more does God love you? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't say God will give us all of our wants. It said he'll give us all of our needs. And it's according to whose riches? His riches, which is unlimited. God has unlimited provision. So he says, I will supply according to my riches everything that you need. Not necessarily everything you want because our wants and needs are different. But everything that you need. See, sometimes God says no because he has something better in mind for us. I heard this story of a young girl who had a fake pearl necklace. It's one that her dad gave to her. and Every night before she go to bed, the dad would ask her, honey, do you love me? She goes, yeah, dad, I love you. Do you trust me? Yeah, dad, I trust you. Well, give me your pearl necklace. And every time she would say, no, Daddy, this is my pearl necklace. I can't give this to you. I love this. He'd say, okay. He'd tuck her into bed. Every night they'd go through that same thing over and over and over again. Finally, after the umpteenth time, the dad looks at his little girl and says, honey, do you love me? Yeah, Daddy, I love you. Do you trust me? I trust you, Dad. Let me have your pearl necklace. So this little girl, tears in her eyes, takes off her necklace and hands it to her dad. Her dad said, "Hun, I've had something so much better for you. I've just been waiting for you to trust me. And he takes out a real pearl necklace and gives it to her. So many times in our life, we're holding on to something that is just isn't worth holding on to. And we hold, we're holding on to this fake pearl necklace 
And God is simply saying, would you just trust me? I have something so much better in store for you. I have so much better in mind for your life. But God, I want you to do this. God, if you love me, you'll do this. God, if you're really good, you'll say yes to this. When God says, well, hold on. I have something so much better in store for you. I know right now the no is painful. And I know that you don't understand why I'm saying no. But understand that I love you and I have something so much better in store for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Just think about that. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? Most of us would say yes. Do you believe that God created this world? say yes. Do you believe that God wrote this Bible for us as a roadmap for us to live by? Do you believe that God is all powerful? Do you believe that God can do anything that he wants? Do you believe that God loves you beyond a shadow of a doubt? Most of us would answer yes to all those things. So a follow-up question. Why do we fight him so much if we believe that he is almighty and we believe that he is all powerful and we believe that he created this world and we believe that he is exactly who he says he is in scripture which means he is faithful which means he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us if we believe he is good if we believe that he loves us why do we fight him so much why do we think we know what's better for our lives why do we have this illusion that as long as we're in control, our life will go exactly the way we want it to in exactly the best way. Sometimes God says no because he has something better for us. Number three, sometimes God says no to show us with God, weaknesses become a strength. And this doesn't make sense to us because we automatically see weaknesses as negatives, don't we? When we see weaknesses in our lives, our first goal is to what? I need to work on these weaknesses, which that's a good thing. We always need to strive to be better, okay? We always need to strive to, to be better and to do something better, okay? If, if we're playing in a sport, we've got to practice. If we know we're weak at our free throws, we've got to practice those, okay? We, we understand that. But there are some things in life that it doesn't matter how often we try or how often we practice. There are always weaknesses. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's a mental thing. We've tried to be better, but the weakness is still there. See, and in those moments, that's when God can step in. In our perceived weakness, he shows himself strong. But I think instead of trying to rely on God, we try to mask our weaknesses. One thing I say often is fake it till you make it, right? Just act like you know what you're doing. You know, if you act like you know what you're doing, then you don't perceive yourself to be weak. We like to wear the mask of perfection, like we have it all together. I wear that mask very well. But most of the time, on Sunday mornings, if I'm being very honest, my weaknesses stare me in the face. I have a very 
typical routine on Sunday mornings. I try to get here about 7 o'clock. I sit in my office and I pray and I study. And then whenever I see a passage of scripture that's longer than about three or four lines, panic sets in. Because I'm not a good reader. I never have been. As a child, I stuttered badly. I hated speaking in public because I would stutter. I went to a speech therapist all throughout elementary school. I remember being made fun of because of the stutter. So anytime still to this day that I see a passage of scripture, when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as I was reading, I was praying, guys. God, help me to get through this. Because this is like eight lines of scripture here. And I don't want to read this out loud. But here's the beauty. Whenever I look at the Bible... I see over and over and over again that God specializes in using inadequate, weak people. So I was watching The Chosen last night as he's calling his disciples. <laughs> he called the most unlikely people. Matthew, a hated tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. Hated by their own people because they were robbing their own people to pay the people that were enslaving them. But Jesus says, I want you. Matthew, come follow me. Peter, a hothead. Peter was probably the most unqualified person to be a disciple. He spoke before he thought Peter was always ready for a fight. God shows inadequate, weak people. Why? Because in our weakness, God displays himself strong. I love Exodus chapter 4. Maybe it's because of me stuttering as a child. Exodus chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. The Lord said to him, speaking of Moses, who gave man his mouth, who makes him deaf or mute, who gives him sight or makes him blind, is it not I the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses told God, you picked the wrong guy. I've got a speech problem. I don't speak well in front of people, God, and you want me to be your mouthpiece? You've got the wrong guy. And God said, Moses, who made your mouth? Who gave you the ability to talk? Who gives people the ability to see? Is it not me? And if you believe it is me, then trust that I will go with you. And I will give you the words to say. I will make your mouth work when you don't think it can work. God essentially says, Moses, I don't need your abilities. It's not about you. I don't need your abilities. I need your willingness. So as we pray and ask God to remove certain weaknesses in our lives, sometimes God says no because it's in that weakness that he shows himself strong and he ultimately gets the glory. 
I know we love it when God says yes. But the truth of the matter is sometimes God simply says no. And when he says no, we have to trust that he has a plan. Here's the problem. God sees things through his perspective, right? God sees everything. God sees your entire life from beginning to end. He knows all the ins and outs of it. But what do we see? We see what's right in front of us. We see the current issue we're currently dealing with. And we're asking God to step into this issue. And sometimes God says, yes, I'm going to step in and I'm going to do something amazing. Sometimes God says, not yet. My timing isn't yet. I'm going to step in, but it may take a little while. But sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says, I know you feel like that's what's best for your life. But I have something better for you. I know this may hurt. But I promise you're going to be better through this. Just trust me. A couple next steps. These are hard ones. Don't be discouraged when God says no. That's hard. I'd love to say, here's a magic pill to take that you don't get discouraged when God says no, but that's hard. Don't get discouraged when God says no. Number two, trust God's timing and his reason. If you believe that God loves you, and you believe that God is who he says he is, then trust that he has a plan for your life. Even if you don't see that plan right now, even if that plan doesn't make sense to you, trust that he has a plan, because he does. Remember what he said in Jeremiah 29? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. What God says, he's essentially when he says, I know the plans I have for you, he says, I see the big picture. I see everything, and I know where you're going to end up. I know the plans I have for you. I've mapped your life out. I know the plans I have for you. But then he makes a promise. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a hope, to give you a future. So God says, I see the big picture, and I have a plan for you, but I can promise you, the plan that I have for you is so much better than the plan that you have for yourself. So trust me. Trust me when I say no. Trust me when I say wait. I'm not just good when I say yes. I'm even good when I say no. 